I'm going to be reading three different verses from Proverbs, so you don't necessarily need to flip around, but you might want to find some of them as they appear on the screens if any of them jump out to you. But here now from Proverbs 14, 16, and 19, the word of the Lord. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, and he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who rules he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. This is the word of the Lord. I have been now and again seeing articles online popping up in my news feed, many of them asking the question and exploring the question, why is everyone so angry these days? Ironically, in some of those articles, the author gets angry that people are so angry. They shouldn't be angry, and that makes me angry. Anger is not new. The scale, even, I would suggest, of our society's anger, because I don't know if you're like me, I'm sensing it. The scale of our anger is not even new. What's new is that we are daily, hourly reminded of it and confronted with it in the news that we see, in the articles about it, in the social media posts. Everybody who's anybody has a voice to express and give vent to their anger, not just to the person next to them, but to everybody who is able to listen. And people watch and people listen and people read because it makes us angry. Anger is not new. It's a natural result of life in a world where there is sin. This morning we're going to see what the book of Proverbs teaches us about anger. And each week as we look at Proverbs, which we're going to be doing for the next uh, couple months here, uh, we're going to remind you a few things about how we're going to study Proverbs because it's a little different from how we usually study Scripture. Usually we take a book like Matthew or Hosea and we just go chapter by chapter and see what God's Word says. Proverbs doesn't give us that option. Proverbs is not meant to be read like that. We do it a disservice if we read it that way. Instead, for the past four weeks, we've looked at some of the big principles about wisdom, which is the theme of Proverbs. And we've seen the Spirit's role in teaching us wisdom, the, the importance of the community that we're in for reinforcing the path of wisdom, the value of wisdom that we ought to give up everything for it, and the source of wisdom, where we find God's wisdom for us. Having set the stage that way, beginning this week and for the next two months, we're going to be looking each week at a different topic that Proverbs addresses. And we're going to pull a number, not all, because there's not time to look at every verse on anger or money or loneliness or whatever else we talk about. But looking at what the idea of Proverbs is on this topic. What wisdom does God's Word teach us? And we're going to remind you each week That as we look at the wisdom of God in Proverbs, we're not looking at a path to salvation. The commands and instructions and wisdom that we read here is not telling you how to attain God's favor. It's telling you how to live once you have become a child of God. How to walk in the path of salvation. 
we're going to consider not just the commands of Proverbs, but how the gospel makes possible what we read in Proverbs. And I'm going to tell you now, the message this morning is not going to be, don't get angry. Okay? I've heard that sermon. You've heard that sermon. You've tried that. You've tried to just say, well, it's just wrong to be angry. You know, in James it says, a man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God requires. So I'm going to stop being angry. And how did that work for you? Probably didn't. That's not gospel. To simply look at our sin and say, stop doing that, is not gospel. That's law. Law which does not give us the power to do what it requires. But the gospel that comes to us in Jesus Christ enables us to do what the law requires. The gospel is that through the work of Jesus Christ, anger loses its power. Anger loses its power to distract you, to define you, and to destroy you. We're going to see how that plays out using the wisdom of Proverbs as a guide. The first thing we see is that through the gospel, anger loses its power to distract us. As we look at the theme of anger in Proverbs, we start to learn about its source, its origins, where anger comes from. For example, in Proverbs 15, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Anger can start as a reaction to harsh words. It doesn't have to, but it can. Or Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. If having understanding makes us slow to anger, then we can infer that a lack of understanding leads to anger. So we see the source of anger where it comes from, maybe harsh words, maybe a lack of understanding. But we also see the result of anger in Proverbs. For example, 15, 18, a hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Anger just magnifies our problems. It doesn't lead to peace. It leads to strife. Or Proverbs 29, 22, a man of wrath stirs up strife, and one given to anger causes much transgression. So we see in these verses, anger comes from things like misunderstanding or being provoked by words that we allow to affect us in an unhealthy way. And the result is strife and transgression and sin. Both in its source and in its outcomes, anger distracts us. It distracts us from what is more important by causing us to react when less important things are challenged or threatened causing us to be more concerned with our reputation, our rights, our plans, our status. When those things are threatened, we respond in anger and we are distracted away from what is really important. In our anger, we get distracted to believe that the real problem in my life right now is that so-and-so said that thing that he should not have said to me. Or that she did that thing that upset me and offended me. That's my real problem. That's a distraction. The real problem is in your heart. 
Or we begin to believe that my real priority is to get the respect that I am due and that I deserve. Or to secure the kind of security and stability or lifestyle or family or relationships that I think I want to have. That's my priority and I'm angry when that's not happening or when others oppose that. That's a distraction. Your priority is the kingdom of God, not your own desires and ambitions. It is easy to be angry when we focus on the wrong problems and the wrong priorities. And Proverbs lets us see that. But through the gospel, anger loses its power to distract us. Because what Jesus Christ has done for us is not only dying on the cross for our sins, being punished in our place, He also rose again to secure His victory over everything that threatens His people. Our fear over losing our status. Our fear over being disrespected. Not getting what we deserve. Those things are earthly. And they distract us. They are the wrong problems and they are the wrong priorities. And when we are distracted by them, we get angry. The gospel message instead is that because you, believer, are safe and secure in Christ, when He died to the world, you died with Him. You died to your worldly goals, your worldly aspirations. You died to everything the world says is important and you rose again in Christ, free from all those things, free from the things that the world tells you really matters, that you're, you're nothing if nobody respects you. You're, you're not safe if you don't have a big bank account. You have to look a certain way, weigh a certain amount, be a certain type of person. You died to that in Christ. What room is there for anger? Here in Colossians 3, Paul says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Don't be distracted by your anger so that you are working towards these things that you have died to, that don't matter. Set your mind instead on things above. And I'm not forcing the connection here between that verse in Colossians and our anger. Look a few verses later in Colossians 3, 7, Paul applies it in this way. You once walked in this way, doing these earthly things when you were living in them, but now you have to put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, those things are inconsistent with one who has been raised with Christ. Through the gospel, as we die to self, we die to the self that enslaved us with vain priorities and pursuits and worldly distractions. And in Christ, we're raised again to a new life, a life of fulfillment, a life of vindication. A life where our wrongs have been made right. A life where we are secure in that promise. Jesus put it this way in John 10. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The gospel message to you is that the good shepherd has already laid down his life in order to secure, to guarantee the abundant life that your heart desires. There is nothing that can get in the way of that. 
There is no political group, there is no social movement, there is no enemy or bad neighbor or anyone that can get between you and the abundant life that Christ gives you. There is no one on earth with the power to deny you the happiness that God has for you. Therefore, you are free from the power of anger to distract you and to say that this group or that person or this other individual is worthy of your anger because they are denying you what is yours. They do not have that power. They do not have that power. Through the gospel, anger loses its power to distract you. By assuring us, Jesus removes the power of anger by assuring us that he lovingly gives us everything we need. Another aspect of anger that we need to see in Proverbs is its tendency to consume us, to absorb us, to overwhelm us once it takes root. It's like a weed that spreads quickly and and eats up the whole garden. Proverbs warns against this because we are not to be defined by our sin. We are not to be defined or characterized by sinful patterns and habits and behaviors that were once true of us. But through the gospel, anger loses its power to define us. Listen to how anger is described in these Proverbs. 27.4 Wrath is cruel. Anger is overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Anger is overwhelming. It takes over. It doesn't just occupy one little corner of your mind and is content to just rest there. Anger overwhelms us. You know how that feels. You know how it feels when it takes root and then consumes your thoughts and your feelings and your attitudes. It's not easy or even possible on your own to just let it go and forget about it, is it? And when people tell us, hey, you don't, don't be mad about that, just let it go. Doesn't that just make you more angry? Instead, when anger takes root, it tends to stick around. Proverbs nineteen nineteen: a man of great wealth will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, sorry, a man of great wrath. That makes more sense, doesn't it? A man of great wrath will pay the penalty for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. And I would add, and again, and again, and again. Anger becomes a habit. It defines you. It becomes an all-consuming trait. I speak as one who knows. I've shared this story with many of you before. My nickname, my first two years of, of university, my nickname among my sweetmates, the, the five other guys that I lived with, I learned near the end of my second year that my nickname among them was the anger. Rob was angry about everything, and they knew it. There was no hiding it. I was angry about dirty dishes. I was angry about toothpaste stains on the bathroom mirror. I was angry about people being late. I was angry about too much noise. I was angry about jokes I didn't get. I was angry about visitors I didn't like. Everything made me angry, and they knew it. It's just It was my personality. I wasn't just distracted by my anger. I was defined by it. I knew I had a problem when one day a, a, a guy that was in that college suite of people that I lived with, one of the five guys I lived with, he was the president of the Atheists Are People Too club on campus. An avowed atheist and a foreign exchange student 
One of my other friends, Christian friends in the campus ministry I was a part of, had met him in class and had befriended him and just was overwhelming him with love. And they were walking together one day and on a campus of 11,000 people happened to see me because I was waiting for my, my friend, my Christian friend, who was running 15 minutes late. How'd that make me feel? Angry. And so as my friend who's late and my roommate are walking towards me, my roommate nudges my friend and says, see that guy? That's Rob Edenfield. He's probably so angry about something right now. And then to his surprise, they walk right up to me. And I'm not hiding my anger. I'm like, Dan, you were supposed to be here 15 minutes ago. Where were you, Dan? And Dan pulled me aside and we had our lunch together. And he said, Rob, I have to talk to you about something. You are an angry man. It had defined me. I was not defined by the Spirit of God. I was not defined by the joy of the Holy Ghost. I was defined by the things that had consumed me. Sinful anger is a trap. It's a trap because in our anger we look to our own strength to solve our problems. I was angry because I was prideful. I thought I had the power and the responsibility to control and change the world and the people around me. And I was angry that it wasn't working. But listen, you don't have that power. Nor do you have that responsibility. And when you think and act like you do, you get trapped. Because you end up like Sisyphus in Greek mythology, forever rolling a boulder up the hill only to see it roll back down once he got to the top. That's how he was condemned to spend eternity in futility. And when we think that we have the power to control the world or the people in it, we end up trapped in futility and defined by the anger that creates. Proverbs reminds us of how hard it is to control that anger once we're trapped in it. In 1632, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit is better than he who takes a city. It is easier easier to conquer a city than it is to conquer your temper. You can't control your anger. You are defined by it. So what do we do? Well, I told you already the answer is not going to be just don't get angry. Because that's not the gospel solution. That's the failed path of self-reliance. I'm not going to tell you don't get angry. Instead, I'm going to tell you the gospel path of anger that will keep your anger from defining you. Give your anger to God. Give anger to God. Not, Not just in the sense of confessing it, saying, I shouldn't be angry, I feel bad that I'm angry, it's wrong to be angry, it's a sin to be angry, God forgive me for being angry. That's not what I mean when I say give your anger to God because anger isn't always bad. Anger isn't always a sin. God gets angry. Jesus was angry. And child of God, it is unhealthy to always bury and deny anger. Instead, we are commanded to be angry. I mentioned to someone this morning as we were making the slides, Ephesians 4 says, Be angry! And do not sin. You are told to be angry. But as you are angry, do not let your anger become an occasion for sin. Don't let that anger define you. Don't let it lead you into sinful patterns and behaviors. 
Romans 12 tells us how to act when we're angry with someone. Listen, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By the way, this is quoting Proverbs. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But still, that's just me telling you to stuff your anger down, ignore it, and be a nice person. Unless we look at and live out the verse that comes before it, Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Leave room for the wrath of God. When you are angry, first, make sure it's not a distraction. Are you angry about the wrong problems? Are you pursuing the wrong priorities? Are you forgetting the fullness that God has given you? But if you're angry about the right things, injustice, unfairness, evil, unrighteousness, things that provoke God's anger and should provoke ours, if that's the source of your anger, be angry, but do not sin. Act graciously in the midst of your anger, just as God acted graciously towards you in the midst of his anger, which you can do because vengeance is God's. He will repay. He will make sure that justice is done. He will make sure that those who have hurt you will receive the justice that they deserve, either on the cross as they come to Christ or in the ultimate day of judgment. The gospel shows us that God is always in control in control of the good and in control of the bad, in control of the moments that are fair, in control of the moments that are unfair, in control of the moments that make sense, and in control of the moments that baffle us. He is always in control. And so when Joseph, betrayed by his brothers, unfairly enslaved, imprisoned, and forgotten, when he was risen to a position of power, and faced his brothers again. He looked in the eyes of his oppressors and those who had harmed him. He had every right to be angry and he had every power to act on his anger. And instead, he spoke these words in Genesis 50. His brothers came and fell before him and said, we're your servants. They're begging for mercy. And Joseph said to them, do not fear. Am I in the place of God? Leave room for the wrath of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God was in control even of your evil against me in order to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph asked, am I in the place of God? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. He knew to leave room for the wrath of God. The gospel removes the power of of anger to define you because it reminds you that God is in control. We can be angry about the right things. You should be angry about some things. But the truth of the gospel reminds us to take our anger to God because he is always in control. The last thing I want us to see about anger in Proverbs here is that through the gospel, Anger loses its power to destroy us. If you look through the Proverbs on the topic of anger, you're going to start to see a series of verses that are kind of curious. They're about the anger of the king. For example, Proverbs 16, 14, A king's wrath 
is a messenger of death, and a wise man will appease it. In the light of a king's face, there's life, and his favor is like the clouds that bring the spring rain. Well, Proverbs 19.11, good, good sense make, makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A king's wrath is like the growling of a lion, but his favor is like dew on the grass. These are warnings to us. Not about avoiding anger in our own hearts, but of the danger of being on the receiving end of a powerful anger, the anger of the king. We do well to heed this warning, not only in the practical, political sense, but especially so in the truer, divine sense. God is the great king, the divine king, and his anger means our destruction. Proverbs 20, verse 2, the terror of a king is like the growling of a lion. Whoever provokes him to anger forfeits his life. And we have to be careful here not to paint God as some sort of bloodthirsty tyrant who loses his temper on a whim and lashes out at innocent people in his anger. That's not the anger described here. The anger of King Jesus is a righteous and rightly directed anger which we hinted at before, and I want to look at a little more carefully right now. So if your mind is wandering, bring it back. Tune in, everybody. Because I want to perhaps redefine anger a little bit in a way that might be new. What do you think is the root of anger? Is it fear? Are we angry because we're afraid? So the psychologist would tell us. Or is it selfishness or self-centeredness? Is it pride? Is it insecurity? I would say all those things are secondary and not the true root of anger. The true root of anger is love. Bet you didn't see that coming. The true root of anger is love. We get angry when something we love is threatened. When someone brings harm to my children, I am angry. When someone threatens the security that I love, I am angry. When someone speaks ill of a friend, I am angry. The true root of anger is love. Now, if what we love most is not what we should love most, if we are loving our money, our reputation, or something like that, then yes, our love of those things becomes pride and greed, which leads to anger if we're trusting our own strength to make things right, then yes, fear becomes anger. But at the root of it all is a love that is threatened. And so the righteous anger of King Jesus is directed against those things that threaten the good things that he loves most. His creation, his children, his honor, his glory, his perfect plan. When those things are threatened, he reacts with strength and with righteous fury to protect and to defend what is good. When we choose sin, when we rebel against God and do not keep his ways, when we set ourselves as our own authority, we are acting against what God loves. When we speak hurtfully to a neighbor who is made in the image of God, 
When we deny aid and comfort to those who are suffering, when we blaspheme His Word and take pride in the things that He condemns, we find ourselves on the receiving end of the King's righteous anger. And as Proverbs 20, verse 2 reminded us, whoever provokes Him to anger forfeits His life. Or as Romans 2 says, because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. The threat of anger is not just that it distracts us or that it defines us. The worst thing is not that you might become an angry person. The greatest threat of anger is that it will destroy us because we are on the receiving end of a righteous anger. But the gospel, of course, speaks to this as well. Through the gospel, anger loses its power to destroy us. We saw this already in our assurance of pardon this morning. When God speaks through His prophet, some of the most scathing rebukes against His people who were sinning against Him and disobeying Him. And He told them how hotly His anger burned against their sin and how justly they deserved His wrath. And then He pauses and steps back and opens up His heart, the heart of the gospel in Hosea 11. But how can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. God says I will not execute my burning anger. So does God just let it go? Does He just forget about it? He cools down and and ignores it? No. That can't be. To stop being angry at sin, God would have to stop loving goodness. He would have to look at sin and say, this is okay. I'm fine with this. He cannot do You don't want to worship a God who does that. No, God can say to His children, I will not execute my burning anger against you because He has already executed His burning anger on Jesus Christ. That's the message of the cross. As we sometimes sing, on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Or as we see and read it in Romans 5. Familiar words to many of us, but I want you to listen to them now through the lens of anger losing its power to destroy us because of Christ. God shows His love for us in this. Christ died for us. Since therefore we've now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved by Christ from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, how much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life? Through Jesus, through Jesus, God makes a way to end His anger while still expressing His love his children. That's the cross. The wrath of God poured out on Christ so that the love of God could be poured out on his children. At the end of a message on anger, it feels like I should say, so don't be angry. Don't let yourself get angry. But I hope you see that such a message is not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It's it's the application of the gospel. It's what it looks like when the gospel takes root and when you believe it and sincerely understand it. 
anger begins to lose its power. So to whatever extent Proverbs tells us, hey, don't be angry. Anger leads to strife. Anger leads to destruction. Anger traps you. Don't be an angry person. To whatever extent Proverbs tells us that, we can only obey that wisdom. We can only abide by it and do what it says if the gospel comes first. It's not stop being angry and God will save you. It's not Jesus died for people who learn how to control their temper. No, it's you are trapped and unable to stop being angry. You are unable to stop being angry at the wrong things. You are unable to control the power it has over you unless Christ died for you and removed the power of anger. The gospel has to come first. The gospel which tells us you died to the world through Christ and therefore you are no longer constrained by and enslaved to the priorities and problems of the world. You have instead abundant fullness in Christ. And so anger loses its power to distract you. The gospel which tells us that God is in control of all of our days and He will bring justice in the end. And so we can act graciously today knowing that no one gets off the hook. Either their sins are poured out on Christ and punished in Him when they repent. Or God will bring justice in the end. But in the meantime, we leave room for that. And that leaves us room to act graciously. And so anger loses its power to define us. The gospel, which tells us that Jesus took on himself the full wrath of God, punished in our place so that the love of God could abound to us, so that anger loses its power to destroy us. I'm not going to tell you not to be angry because you have every reason to be angry, some of you more than others. Looking at the news, looking at the world, and in many cases looking at the lives that God has called you to live. I will not say do not be angry. What I will say, dearly beloved, is to remember the gospel. Be angry and do not sin. Give your anger to God. Live out the gospel together. Anger has no power over you. Be angry with the anger of God and leave room for Him to work it out because the gospel comes first, the gospel goes with you, and the gospel wins in the end. Let that bring you peace, brothers and sisters. Let us pray for the peace of God. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the sinless one, he who knew no sin, who was yet made sin for us. He who was innocent, the Lamb of God, spotless and without stain, who bore the blow of the sacrifice. Thank you for Christ. Because of what He has done, anger has no power over us. You have freed us, Lord. We thank You. We praise You that we may take refuge in Jesus Christ until the wrath of God has passed over. So in the rock of ages, we pray in His name. Amen.